Did you ever happen to buy a product online, but then when you got it, you realize it wasn't the right fit or color, just not exactly what you thought it would be when you bought it, and ended up returning it? Well, it turns out you're not alone. In fact, according to UPS, in December 2021, U.S. consumers sent over 1 million packages back to sellers each day. All those products you ordered and sent back actually accumulate when you zoom out and look at things at a global scale. Hey there, fellow consumers. Welcome to The Hidden Cost of Returns. I'm Rotem Reichman, your host. And here in the studio with me is Shira Shabtai, an e-commerce expert. Hey there. Welcome aboard. Shira and I are both part of an international research project whose goal is to quantify the environmental impacts associated with the shift to online shopping. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one of the hottest, just mostly overlooked aspects of online shopping, consumer returns. Throughout the episode, we will be speaking with leading scholars and industry experts, Inga Bars, Eyal Rosenthal, and James Abbey, to shed some light on what we call the hidden environmental cost of consumer product returns. While most of us probably don't give much thought to the products we return and assume they simply go back to the shelf, turns out it isn't always the case. An industry estimate from reverse logistic company Optoro suggests that over 5 billion pounds of return goods end up in the U.S. landfill each year, a mass equivalent to the annual waste generated by more than 2.7 million Americans combined. While a small fraction of the item's returns are flawed or have defects, most are actually fully functioned. Potentially great products that are manufactured, packaged, distributed, and then returned only to end up in a landfill somewhere without ever being used. To shed some light on the scale and journey of consumer returns, let's talk to our first guest. Yes, so hi, I'm Inge Bars, Sustainability Manager at Cyclion. Cyclion is one of the leading global reverse logistics companies, which means other companies hire Cyclion to manage everything to do with returns. In other words, they handle everything from return to seller shipping labels through processing and shipping products from consumer back to the retailer or manufacturer for companies such as Columbia, Nikon, and Allbirds. So, Inga, what are the typical return rates when it comes to e-commerce? Um, it depends a little bit on the, the product type. So, for electronics, I believe it's about... Um, 5 to 10%, and for apparel it's a bit higher, uh, can even be 50% depending on the store or the brand. Uh, so it differs a little bit per product category. Why is there such a difference between product categories? I think it uh, has a lot to do with whether you receive exactly what you're expecting to receive. Uh, for electronics, it's, yeah, you mostly know what you're going to get. Maybe you've done already some research online. You maybe already know the technical characteristics of the product, there's a lot of videos, um, and there it's more about the functionality of the product. So I think for electronics, uh, it's a bit easier to, to buy online, uh, while for apparel, it's very dependent on whether the color is exactly what you're expecting, whether the fabric views as what you're expecting or looking for, and of course there's the fit. So it could be that the size is not right. Um, And also there we see that the, even between brands, the sizing guides can differ. So it's a bit more complex to receive the exact item that you're looking for. 
Yeah, this actually makes sense for my personal experience. I ended up returning so many products from electronics that were just too big or didn't fit the voltage at my home or clothing that I ordered for my daughter and they were just a different size or color. I completely get this. Yeah, the online sales has has grown a lot since COVID-19 and it's not really decreasing. So I think many people have found also the benefit of online shopping. I believe also when when buying online, you can try it at home. So people see their their home as their uh, fitting room um, and returns are made free, uh, although nothing is really for free, but uh, they're made quite easy. So that doesn't hold people back from purchasing more online. Just to give you context, the average return rate in conventional stores, like in mall, is around 10%. Wow, that means online is more than double. Some retailers even report a stunning return rate of 40%. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, actually, when we look at a bigger picture, in 2021, U.S. consumers sent $200 billion worth of online purchases back to retailers. How is this sustainable for companies economically? Well, to look at things from the company's perspective, I want to invite our second guest. Hi, my name is Eyal Rosenthal. I am one of the founders of ReturnGo, and we are a return management solution uh, for e-commerce merchants. So, yeah, we have been talking about return rates and how they might be higher online because of the inherent uncertainty that consumers don't really know what they are getting to some extent. But obviously, this is also a challenge for sellers, right? A recent article in the New York Times, for example, suggests that return costs companies over $4 billion a year. Perhaps you can help us unpack this a little and explain how this looks from the seller's perspective. The, the leader is really doing anywhere between 15 to 20% return rates and other ones that are not succeeding in reducing the return rates or, or in pleasing customers having you know, 35, 40% return rates. Uh, those are levels that are very, very difficult to sustain. Again, it's, it's impa- all of this impacts the bottom line. And if you're at 2% versus 5%, that could significantly make the difference of whether you're profitable or not profitable. The sheer scale of product returns should concern not only companies, but anyone interested in better understanding the environmental cost of consumption. Yet, what actually happens to returns product is unknown. I mean, I know when I return something I bought online, I drop it off in a post office, and then I assume it gets shipped back to the seller who then resells it to someone else, right? You see, once an item is sold and then returned, it needs to first be sorted. Let's go back to Inga and Eska. Inga, can you break down for us what happens to the items we return? So depending on how the customer decides to return it, it's either the customer needs to return it to, for example, drop-off point, or it's, it's picked up at home or a locker or anything like that. So then the logistics carrier is uh, used to yeah, do the shipment from their sorting hubs. And then uh, at Cyclone, it's, it's brought to one of our uh, local warehouses uh, in the country where it was returned. And then it's scanned, which triggers uh, also the information to our clients, so to the brands or the stores that the return has been received. Um, then we check the quality of the product. And based on that, and also based on the, the instructions that we receive from our clients, the product is uh, returned to the warehouse of our of the brands themselves so that they can be resold. Or uh, if the quality is uh, maybe not high enough, could be that it's uh, sent to a different location, an outlet store, um, 
donated. Uh, if it's very in very bad shape, it could be that it has to be uh, recycled instead so that it can really be resold. Wow, that sounds way more complicated than what I had in mind. All that processing, transport and sorting just to send an item to recycling. Also, it sounds like this wouldn't come cheap. How much do you think this all costs? Well, if return rates can make or break a seller profitability, it can be cheap. Let's go back to Eyal Rosenthal from ReturnGo to get a better sense of this. So, Eyal, what kind of cost we are looking at here? When you send out an item, you have costs associated with attracting that customer. You have shipping costs. You have uh, costs that are associated with the customer support to process a return. You have warehousing costs uh, uh, and, and disposal costs in certain instances. How much are we looking for when it comes to a typical returned item? So all of these things add up to anywhere from you know five to eight dollars on a return just on the customer support costs. Now add to that the warehouse costs as well. And you have an individual that has to open a box, inspect the item, make sure that that item is the correct item. Uh, people do send the wrong items or they send items that, uh, uh, that can't be restocked. That takes time as well. So that can end up being another 5 to $8. Um, again, it, it depends, of course, uh, on the product. Uh, electronic devices that are more intensive in terms of being able to check and, and verify that they're working properly is, is going to be more expensive. So the, the, the fully loaded cost of an item coming back is typically anywhere from $15 to $25. It is expensive and can be more than the item itself. Now, add to that that last piece, which is can the item be restocked? 20% of items can't be restocked. Well, now you have to take that additional cost of items that have come back that are going to be thrown out and spread those uh, spread that cost uh, on all the other items. And you also have disposal costs associated with it as well. So it is expensive. Did you hear that? 10 to $15 just to process the returns. No way that makes sense for something I can buy for $15, right? Yep, but it's even more extreme than that. When you take into account that whatever you as the end consumer buy for $15 costs the retailer way less. Right. Wow. Okay. So we got a glimpse into how much managing our returns cost companies. But honestly, why should I care as a consumer? I mean, sellers know what they are doing. If it's worth it for them to make our returns free, well, who am I to say differently? We got a glimpse into the cost companies pay for our returns. But frankly, why should I care as a consumer? You should care because with a consistent growth in return rates, companies are adding those costs to the final consumers. Okay, companies have costs when they ship things to me and when they take it back. But what's the big deal? Why are returns so much more complicated? Some contexts might help here. In the entire regular manufacturer to consumer logistics systems, also called for logistics, Products are sold in quantity. But when we talk about returns, you have to process one product at a time. Inga, can you plug in to help me elaborate on this? Well, returns is, yeah, you can't really compare it to forward supply chain. So with forward logistics, the shipping from the retailer to the consumer, you know that the products are in good condition, uh, you know how they're packaged, and you can more or less forecast the demand a little bit because you have the market insights. So with that, you can really make it a very efficient flow. Well, for reverse logistics, 
you don't have those elements. You don't know what, what uh, quality the product will be returned in. You don't know when it will be returned or from where, uh, because it's uh, not 100% uh, return. Um, so you don't have the ability to make your return flow as efficient as your forward flow. And yeah, additionally, the, the, the quality of the items that you receive back makes it quite complex because you need to check it. So it's, um, it's not a process that you can easily integrate in the uh, forward supply chain. It's really a, a separate activity. That's why for retailers, it's not always easy to do the returns themselves, which is why at Cyclone, we do this for companies. We're specialized in this. Actually, I never thought about it in this way. But when you break it down, it does sound like a different challenge, a different expertise. Yeah, when you come to returns, uh, depending on what kind of product it is, it can also mean that the product value might decrease quite quickly, depending on yeah whether it's uh, seasonality or maybe a hype product, anything like that. For example, if you have sportswear for uh, skiing, then you have a very limited time window in which you can sell, return things and resell again for the same season. So depending on how many days your uh, customers have to return a product, um, yeah, you, you limit yourself a little bit in, um, in how much time you have left to still sell it in the same season. There's also products that don't really have the influence of seasonality then as a retailer or as a brand, it doesn't really matter whether your return is received a lot later, which also means that there's less stress in the reverse logistics flow. Um, so yeah, then you, you can uh, make it a lot more efficient. And it's not only for ski gear. I cannot be giving you 180 day return policy. That's our third guest, James Abbey. He's an associate professor at Mays Business School at Texas A&M University and also the department editor for Journal of Operations and Management. By the time the 180 days rolls around, the next generations come out, the value of the older generation has dropped 20, 30, 40%. So the sooner you make a decision about keeping or returning a product, the better for both parties in the sense that if the consumer is not that concerned about it, yeah, they'd rather have more time, but they don't really need it. But the retailer is highly concerned to extract value, marginal value of time in electronics or seasonal goods or something like that. Shorter is better. Rodem, circling back, here is another reason you or any other consumer should care about returns. Those value depreciation, Inga and James mentioned, affect the whole supply chain's environmental impacts. Do you mean the amount of products that will end up in landfills just because the value they're worth does not justify the cost of sorting, shipping and restocking? There's more to it. Eyal, can you share with us a bit about the environmental costs? First, let's start with on the order side. If customers are ordering more items than they need and that are going to be uh, returned, some of those items are not going to be able to be restocked and are, and are simply going to be discarded unless we can get them to a secondhand market quickly. So that cost of waste. The cost of items traveling cross-country, back and forth, getting to that fulfillment center in Nevada to get, to, to get it to you within two days in California has an environmental impact. Getting that item from California to a warehouse in New to a returns warehouse in New York has a, has an environmental impact. All of these things have a significant cost. That when you look at one single return, it's not felt, but returns are online. Online returns specifically are 
20, 25, 30% of the product sold of a business. And it adds up incredibly quickly when you're one company. And then when you look at an industry, the, the impact is simply phenomenal. It's shocking a little bit how, how much things travel and, and, the, and the impact of simply the trucks on the road. Beyond vehicles on the road and landfill waste, disposing usable products also squanders the energy and resources invested in their production, distribution, and post-return transport and processing. Oh my, this just keeps on getting more complicated. Why do companies manage returns so poorly? I, I, I think the reason that companies don't take ownership of this again goes back to the mentality that I have seen, and we teach this in our business schools too, It is forward movement of product, it's market expansion effects, it, it is all these things that are taught and reverse supply chain, reverse logistics, close up supply chain, circular economies is foreign unless the instructor happens to bring it out, which I can tell you from my experience really only happens in the supply chain curricula, the operations curricula. Even if a marketing course talks about environmental And I've seen this. They're not talking about what do you do with a product return. They're talking about reducing the energy consumption, the material consumption, or planting trees to offset selling a car. Or every time you buy uh, this, we're going to give to the uh, foundation of this that is doing something somewhere in the world to virtue signal that we are green. And so what you see is most students are not taught to think about this in a systematic fashion. It's just not something that's done. And so it's just invisible to them. So there's a reason that these managers out in the world, when they go out in the world and they're told, I want you to make the 5% gain in market share here, they're myopically focused on their metrics, which is you need to market penetrate here, you need a product of this kind here. When it comes to the returns, this is not strategic thinking for most firms. And this has been the case for decades, which is only starting to kind of change now because partially of legislation, uh, partially that we've had the education that the environment matters. So we're seeing kind of a change very slowly. Okay, so you basically say we need to have more metrics about the reverse supply chain. And what do you think might help with taking control over the environmental impacts? It really comes back to the fundamental concept is you get what you measure. And so if you're not measuring somebody on their environmental impact or their uh, you know, reuse of returns impact, they're not going to do it. They're, they're going to they're get metriced on, did I get sales growth? Did I hit my sales target? Did I hit this demographic target? Did I hit this market penetration target? If those are the metrics, they're not going to do anything else showrooming where people would go look at the product physically, evaluate if they really wanted it, if it's kind of the product they wanted, then they go online and buy it for cheaper. Now, of course, this led to an enormous industry change. And yeah, given ReturnGo focuses on capturing return-related data for clients, can you elaborate a bit more here? The biggest thing that helps is, is effective technology. That's the, and, and that isn't to, to try to use buzzwords of, of, of data and, and technology, but it is seeing, okay, what are the actual uh, bits of information for how customers are behaving? And based off of this behavior, what actions can we take to improve the situation? So for example, um, in its most basic level, it is recording return reasons and seeing and, and providing immediate insight to Product X is being commonly re uh, returned for the following return reason, and it has a significantly higher return rate than comparable products. Here is a red flag that you may want to think something differently about product X. 
Well, I'm surprised to hear companies don't do that. I got the sense companies do their best to collect all available data about us consumers. The fact that companies don't do this shows how much returns are out of the realm of thinking. So that, that's at the most basic level. And at more challenging aspects is then saying, okay, we have here a consumer that is unsure of what they're purchasing and, and, and what they're doing. Uh, are there ways that we can actually entice them to purchase less? Did you say buy less? Why would a retailer want to make me spend less money? That may sound a little counterintuitive for a merchant to say, I want to purchase less. But if it is an individual buying five items of uh, the same product, but a different variant of it, and you can estimate what similar type of customers have, have selected uh, to incentivize that customer to purchase two or three, because you're going to prevent several items from coming back that you know are going to be coming back. Hmm, okay, here's something I can act on. You say, Rotem, try to be more precise with your purchases in the first place. This way, you can save on the return of products, and beyond skipping the annoying walk to the post office, you will save the transportation, packaging, and rehandling of products that may never reach another consumer. Inga, any additional input on how we, as consumers, can make sure the products we return go back to stock and reach another consumer? Um, yes, yeah, so one part is um, if there's still a label on the product then we can scan it and then we'll see in the image what the item is supposed to look like. So then for the operator in the warehouse, it's very easy to check whether it's the correct item. So first we check whether the item in the parcel is the item that we are expecting to receive. Okay, keep the label on, got it. Then we check, for example, does it look clean or uh, does it have a stain? Does it smell? Um, Maybe there's a hole or any defect uh, or any signs that the item has actually been worn. Um, and then, yeah, usually uh, I must say the items are in good condition and they can be returned right away. If there's small stains or scratches, then uh, we have the ability to clean that. Uh, and then after that, we, yeah, we, we basically make sure that the item is prepared to be resold. So we... Um, Refold it, we repack it, we relabel it, um, and then it can be uh, shipped back to uh, the warehouse or to any des next destination so that it can be reused. Okay, we had a lot of information today. Let's recap. First, as e-commerce grows, returns are becoming an economic burden and a heck of an environmental problem. We learned companies manage return poorly because their business model is forward focused and because, frankly, dealing with returns is complex. In response to the increase in online shopping and return rates, retailers are recruiting new workers, expanding warehouse space, and opening new departments of reverse logistics management. This added complexity means that returns can cost losses when not evaluated correctly. When we dived into the journey of an average returned item, we learned it is usually shipped for sorting, might go through a few sorting hubs, and then its fate is determined. It's either restocked, sold for wholesale, donated, recycled, or disposed. This reverse journey costs companies a lot of money, around $15 per item, and it also has environmental impacts. You know what? I think we have a lot more to talk about when it comes to environmental impact. Well, luckily, I'm all about expanding my knowledge when it comes to being a conscious consumer. Is a talk show about environmental impacts of e-commerce really complete without talking about the plastic packaging we receive? What about the change in consumer behavior? 
aka having all the shops in the world at the tip of my hands. Does this have any environmental impacts? On the next episode of The Hidden Cost of Returns, we are going to dig into the full life cycle environmental impacts of return. And also explain what is an environmental life cycle perspective. That's right. We're basically going to give you, as a consumer or merchant, the tools to make better, more sustainable decisions. That's it for today. Make sure to share this content with at least one friend that loves to shop online. Together, we'll spread the word and make consumers more educated and our shopping more sustainable. Thank you for joining us.